the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hi, it's Hugh Hewitt. Welcome to the interview with Hugh Hewitt, sponsored by AndrewandTodd.com. Andrew and Todd are with Sierra Pacific Mortgage. They help you with all your real estate lending needs. If you're refinancing your home, if you're buying a new home, if you're a senior who wants a reverse mortgage, if you're a veteran who doesn't want to put any money down, whatever it is, if you're in the private real estate market for yourself, and maybe you want an investment property, try AndrewandTodd.com or call 888 now on to the interview with Hugh Hewitt. You'll be back soon, you'll see. You remember you belong to me. You'll be back, time will tell. You remember that I served you well. Oceans rise, empires fall. We have seen each other through it all. And when push comes to shove, I will send a fully armed battalion to remind you of my love. Welcome back, America. If you don't know George III from Hamilton, I don't know what cave you've been living in. It's a memorable moment if you've ever seen the stage play. And now that character comes alive in his fullness in a brand new magisterial biography of him entitled The Last King of America, The Misunderstood Reign of George III, which I'm holding in my hand if you're watching on the Salem News Channel, uh, by eminent historian and friend Andrew Roberts. He's back. Andrew, welcome back to the show. Congratulations. What a magnificent book. You are so kind, Hugh. Thank you very much. And, of course, my toe was tapping just as much as everybody else at uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda's uh, song, even though historically, as I'm sure you'll appreciate, I don't think it's accurate. <laughs> no, I, I got that early on. As you say, as he prances onto the stage, George III, comic but cruel, camp but sinister, difficult to do, done to perfection, and simply not true. And, and what I think The Last King of America does, and I've never even considered this, is give us a portrait of him in the round. Well, that's the idea, certainly, yes. I mean, the three things that people know about him, that he had Porphyria, uh, that his madness and his obstinacy led to the American Revolution, and, of course, that he was a tyrant, um, I think all three of those things are completely untrue. And so uh, it was an exciting book. I was very to write. It was, I was very fortunate that Her Majesty the Queen allowed 100,000 pages of um, material on George III to um, come into the public domain. And, and it, it really does show a completely different picture from the one that you get in uh, Hamilton the Musical and, indeed, the Declaration of Independence. Oh, it does. Andrew Roberts, I, I listened to your books ever since Jim Sassoni told me I needed to listen to Napoleon, and I did. I am listening to The Last King of America, and according to my I, uh, Apple phone, it tells me I've listened to 38% of it thus far. So I'm up to about the start of the war. So I'm going to focus on the first 38% of the book, and then we'll, because I love every bit. But I want to start with an unusual part. You put your acknowledgments up front, and so I'm listening, and up pops Lady Antonia Fraser who I confess I did not know was still alive. And you thank her for oh, her she, efforts. She's, 
she's very much still alive. She came to, I'm president of the Clifton Literary Festival, and she came and spoke there two weeks ago. So I assure you, she's very much alive. Well, that, I looked her up as soon as I heard that, and I said, well, bravo, because, you know, I read Cromwell like four decades ago, yeah. and Mary Queen of Scots yeah. five decades ago. So you really had the help of the yes. best of the best. Um, let she's, me... she's really one of our finest historians and, and still very much on the on the writing circuit. I'm so glad to hear that. I, and, and I'm glad you got to talk to her and have her help. Now, there's an old Quaker saying that an enemy is a friend whose story you haven't heard yet. And I think many people will consider that about George III when they make their way through. Let's begin with the fact his grandfather is a wretched man. Would you tell people what a wretched man George II was? George II was, was evil, in my view. I mean, tremendously sinister figure. Uh, he hated his son so much that when his son, Frederick, uh, Prince of Wales, George III's father, died, um, he wouldn't allow him to be buried. So um, he, the, the putrefying and decomposing corpse of, um, of the Prince of Wales was left in the room above this poor 12-year-old young prince's um, bedroom, uh, which is uh, pretty much... The par for the course for him. He was thrilled when his son died, um, and uh, and then after that he was horrible to his grandson as well. Poor old George the Third. Yeah, he struck him so hard at Hampton Court that he never went back. Uh, it's it's really quite an amazing thing. However, what I learn is George the Third had amazing tutors towards the end, and he wrote essays. And I, I gather you got your hands on the original essays as a student. Is it is it eight thousand five hundred pages of essays? Yes, it is. And it is extraordinary, the stuff that he was writing. I mean, for example, when he was Prince of Wales in the 1750s, he wrote an article on Montesquieu's essays on the laws in which he took to pieces every one of the arguments in favour of slavery. Um, and um, have you got time for one sentence? Oh, we got lots of time. A sentence? Have you read? Please. He, he said, what, what shall we say for a European traffic in black slaves? The very reasons urged for it will be perhaps sufficient to make us hold such practice in execration for an inhuman custom wantonly practiced by the most enlightened polite nations in the world. There is no occasion to answer them, for they stand self-condemned. And this is a man who never bought or sold a slave in his life, who um, never invested in any of the companies that did that, and, of course, who signed the abolition of the slave um, trade in 1807, signed the yeah. legislation, you know. And yet he's held up to be sort of somehow morally inferior to, to the founding fathers. Well, I think I know what Rick Atkinson, who George W. Bush recommended I read his book, The British Are Coming. So I did. If you just read The British Are Coming, your opinion will be like mine, that he is a tyrant. In fact, he's not a tyrant. As you write in The Last King of America, he's an enlightenment monarch. And I think people need to take that away. He's in love with Blackstone. I think you say his worship of the British Constitution almost constitutes idolatry. He is he's such a musical uh, uh, aficionado and he can play four or five instruments. He played with uh, with uh, Bach's son. He invited Hayden to stay. I, uh, this is a cultured, educated man. And we're going to come to what he got wrong about America. But expand on that, Andrew, because it's a revelation to me. Yes, he, although uh, Thomas Paine called him the, uh, the royal brute of Britain, here's a man who set up the Royal Academy, who um, bought half of the royal collection, the largest art collection in the world today, um, who had his books, uh, 80,000 of his books of his library form the centre, the kernel of the British Library today. He was fascinated by science, um, 
The planet Uranus was named after him because he helped buy the uh, biggest uh, telescope in the world. He was a great supporter of architecture, the neoclassical Georgian school of architecture. And, of course, as you say, I mean, Haydn, he tried to bring to Britain, but also uh, Handel said that he was, whilst this boy lives, I need no other protector, Handel said. And he brought Mozart to Buckingham Palace to play as well. So, you know, the idea of him being a, a royal brute is, um, is monstrous, frankly. Well, you mentioned that many Americans have a point of view that depends upon the madness of King George or the Declaration of Independence, and you've, you're working hard against this. Now, you are an Englishman, so, of course, you may be trying to deal the right hand here, so we're going to have to adjust for the lie of the green, but I'm very impressed by his encouragement of piety and virtue and the prevention and punishment of vice, profaneness, and immortal, uh, immorality. At another point, you tell us that you suspect an account of him swearing is not true because of his piety, but you don't. I haven't yet gotten to the full explanation of his religious view. Is he so? Is he completely sold out to the Church of England in more than a political way? Is he a deep believer? Yeah, no, he's a he's a true believer. Yes, he had um, um, he had a, a strong Christian faith. Um, he. Uh, he both obviously attended church um, a lot, but also truly believed in it. He, he enjoyed talking to bishops much more than to politicians and, uh, and indeed anyone else. He, um, yes, his Christian faith was, uh, was very central to his whole uh, persona. Uh, all, as is, this is such a strange world to live in. I personally want to become the keeper of the fire bucket in the next presidential administration. But I also would take the job of backgammon player to his majesty, because they evidently had a couple of designated... He seems like a kindly man who goes about incognito like the prince and the pauper dealing with people. That's right. Yes, chatting to them about um, about their um, interests. You know, he was nicknamed Farmer George because he liked nothing more than to, than to wander around the country incognito, as you say, because they didn't dress up like uh, the um, Bourbons in Versailles. They, they dressed as normal sort of English country gentlemen and liked talking about, you know, the cost of pigs and things. He wrote articles in... Uh, agricultural um, magazines about uh, crop rotation and manure and things like that. <laughs> Which so you have to remember, of course, 80% of people had their, um, you know, drew their livelihoods from agriculture. So it, it was an important way to know what the, what the people were doing and thinking. After the break, I'm going to set the table for people about the war, but I want to stay for a moment about England when he becomes the king. Uh, the colonial administrator, Lord McCartney, says this vast empire on which the sun never sets. That is coined during the time of King George. He doesn't say it. So he is in complete command of the largest empire everywhere, and he's perfectly trained for it. So set the table, Andrew. What goes wrong? Is it William Pitt? Is it Grenville? What goes wrong to send him skittering off on the wrong direction on the colonies? Um, well, what goes wrong is that by the 1760s and 1770s, um, America is ripe and ready for um, self-government. It's the right thing for America. It's got 2.5 million um, people. It's got a burgeoning economy that's growing at about 6% a year. Um, it's got more bookshops in Philadelphia than any other city of the empire apart from London. And it has no outside threats because the French have been flung off the North African continent by the Treaty of uh, Paris in 1763. So it is, it's ripe for, um, for self-government. So, Andrew, what I don't understand, since he read Blackstone, and I'm a lawyer and I'm a teacher con law, there's a concept called estoppel. And it seems to me that, that George III ought to have recognized he was estopped 
from reclaiming the self-government that England had long given to the colonies. We had grown used to running our own affairs, and he did not want us to do that anymore. No, that's not true. Um, he really wanted you to run your own affairs. But what he also wanted was for you to be able to help, in a very small way, um, offset the enormous costs that the French and Indian War uh, came to. All he wanted with the Stamp Act was for forty to fifty thousand pounds, which um, between two point five million Americans, or at least one point nine million unslaved Americans, are uh, was not a lot of money. It was something like two shillings and sixpence. Well, you know, you, you uh, walked uh, through uh, the math America, in The Last yeah. King. Wait, wait, wait. You walked through the math in The Last King, and you said that the, the Lord that did that calculation underestimated how much was paid and overestimated how many were paying. So it was actually kind of a significant deal for some of the people who got involved in the revolution that George wanted that money, right? Well, he made, he made the big mistake of, of irritating of, of the, land, the actual taxes landed on journalists and on, huh. uh, and on lawyers, and they are the noisiest people in society, as you know. And as I prove every day, yes. A, you, don't, you don't pick a fight with people who buy ink by the barrel. Yeah. The, um, it was a remark of the 19th century, and unfortunately he did exactly that. But every penny of that tax that was being raised, or what they wanted to raise, the stamp tax, was going to be spent in America uh, protecting Americans. All right, before we go to break, uh, the first episode of the illness, I never knew this, occurred in 1765. Would you give us the precy of the illness that you believe is correct? Because up till 2016, everyone thought it was the other thing, and now you're saying it's not. That's right. They all thought that it was porphyria. But the, um, as my appendix points out in this, uh, at the end of this book, actually that comes as a result of some really terrible, misleading symptoms that, a, uh, that back in the 1960s, a mother and her son a medical team gave to doctors, and they wound up with this diagnosis, which, of course, was picked up by Alan Bennett in the play and uh, Nicholas Heitner in the movie, and has believed, been believed until, as you say, 2016, when now all the medical opinion, all the top people recognize that, in fact, it was bipolar disorder, type effective one, and it was not porphyria. I'll be right back with Andrew Roberts. Go get his book, The Last King of America. You will love it. Go listen to it. That's what I believe you ought to do. I'm listening to it, and it's wonderfully read, and it's, it's absolutely entrancing. Da, Welcome da, back, da, America. Hugh Hill with Andrew Roberts. And this is part one of a two-parter with Andrew. I'm going to have him back when I'm finished with the book, because I've only listened to 40% of it so that I can ask him a lot. I'm going to hear you tomorrow night, Andrew, by the way, and I'm not going to lug the hard copy with me uh, to get it signed, although someday I'm going to get all your Andrew Roberts books but my gosh, this is good. I want to go to the, Kent, the central reveal of the first 40 percent of the book. George III was the victim of bad intelligence. There were 17, exactly 17, I believe you write, colonial officials in Virginia at the beginning of the decade of decision. And in 1770, and I'm quoting from memory here, a consensus existed among the establishment of Great Britain, crown, bishops, commons and lords, that a small group of radicals in the United States was not a threat that could be subdued completely and quickly. That is bad intel. Is that a good and fair summary of the situation in 1769 to 70? Yes, it's very, uh, very accurate. And the intel he was getting came from the royal governors of the 13 provinces, later the states. Uh, so, I mean, they were the people on the ground, the kind of people whose sole job it was really to keep the king and the government properly informed. And they managed to get it 
completely wrong. And the thing that they got most wrong was that all of the uh, provinces would stick together, that they would uh, they would act as a as a team, you know, united. Which uh, they, uh, all the royal governors thought that they would split up and be able to be picked off one by one. Now, the, the key thing is, Jim Zaccone got me to read Napoleon. I've got to get Americans to read The Last King of America. I believe it's going to sell so well because of Churchill and Napoleon before that. What do the early returns tell you about the willingness of the American people to be educated about their last king? Hugely impressive so far, but it is only two days into a five-week book tour of uh, five states. So to probably ask me this next time we talk. Once so you read the book, we'll talk again, and I'll give you a much better idea about whether people are listening to, um, to what I have to say. The, the Last King is available at Amazon.com. People, it's the perfect Christmas present. Go get it for your dad or your, or your grandma or your grandpa or anyone who loves long history books and needs to read. And get it for your kids, because it's such an introduction to England in 1770. Let me, let me get a preview from you. And you know where I am. I'm at 1770 and I will continue, I'll be done the next time you come back. There's a lot of cruelty in Tarleton and others. Is George III aware of the cruelty of the Hessians and the cruelty of his men and what became a guerrilla war? Did he know that? No, um, he wasn't kept informed properly by the generals about the outrages that happened. On both sides, I think it's fair to say the loyalists... Um, tended to be the people, uh, the Hessians are, are blamed for a lot of this. In fact, the loyalists, who formed about a third of Americans in 1776, um, they, they uh, were responsible for an awful lot of atrocities. And it has to be said, the Patriots as well, who, uh, when you get on to the burning of Norfolk, Virginia, for example, you'll see that um, that was done by both sides. But the idea of the king being blamed for it, as he was in um, two of the clauses of the Declaration of Independence is, is quite fanciful because he just wasn't, he was 3,000 miles away and certainly never gave any orders for that kind of thing. So when the British Navy reduces uh, a coastal town in Maine to ashes, you don't attribute responsibility of that to the king? No, I don't. I attribute it to the uh, to the admiral who did it. And uh, when you come on to Norfolk, you'll you'll see that actually uh, many more houses were destroyed by the patriots than by the uh, loyalists and by the Royal Navy. Horrible things happen in what was essentially a civil war. I hardly need to tell you that. So there's a. Um, uh, an assumption that you have to blame the person at the top. I don't think that's uh, right any more than I would blame George W. Bush personally for what happened in Abu Ghraib, for example. You know, this is why I, I, I'm going to finish this by the time you come back uh, in a couple of weeks, because I want to know an objective view of the conduct of the American Revolutionary War. But I'm also glad for a second reason that it's out, Andrew. That means you're at work on Disraeli, and uh, that means that Disraeli should be out in a year. Am I right about that? Is Disraeli coming in a year? It's kind of you to tease me, Hugh. You know perfectly well it's going to be at least four years. No, I can't <laughs> wait four years. I'm going to make it the best-selling. You can't that in anything less. I'm going to make it the best-selling biography of a non-American in American history because I love Disraeli and I love Andrew Roberts and I know you're working on it. Are you at Hewden all the time or whatever we call his house? 
Um, Hewenden. No, the papers are at uh, the Bodleian in Oxford, in fact. But uh, Hewenden is a beautiful place and great fun to visit. But the, oh, uh, and that's obviously where he's buried as well. But um, no, the, the archives are at uh, Oxford University. Okay, you're going to be spending your time at the library in Oxford. Come back. I'll see you tomorrow night, Andrew Roberts, in person. I want to recommend to everybody this book I'm holding up, The Last King of America. It is entrancing. I listened to it. I think you ought to get the audio book or get both like I did. And then give it away for Christmas. And Andrew Roberts will be back in about three weeks. I'll be done with the other 60% of the book and we'll finish up. But boy, the first up till 1770, amazing stuff. Thank you, Andrew Roberts. Thank you, Dwayne. Thank you, Generalissimo. Ben Harley. The Chris Christie interview is all at Hugh Hewitt. The interview with Hugh Hewitt. I will be back tomorrow live on the next Hugh Hewitt show. That concludes today's episode of the interview with Hugh Hewitt. Thank you for listening. Make sure you come back and check out all the other podcasts on the Salem Podcast Network. And remember to thank our sponsors, andrewandtodd.com. If you believe in long-form interviews like I do, then do your real estate transactions with Andrew Del Rey and Todd Avakian. I've known both men for a long time. andrewandtodd.com. Go there, answer a couple of questions. They'll tell you what's best to do with your house or call them at 888-888-1172. You'll be glad you did, and you'll be glad that you listened to the next episode of The Interview. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.